0: Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 48! This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and today we'll be playing a little movie catch-up of everything I've been watching lately. Uh, everything I've been watching lately has been kind of, uh... kind of strange, and... you know, some stuff good and some stuff not so good. But... Uh, you know, I'm happy to share it with you, the kind listener. So, we have a bunch of films. Um, We have... mm, let's see. We have a, uh, a new horror film called Bitch Ass. We have a kind of strange found footage horror film called Masking Threshold. We have the infamous The Greasy Strangler, which was actually a from uh, one of the kind listeners and a couple other movies as well but let's just jump right into this big pile of movies let's start with Masking Threshold from 2021 directed by Johannes Grunsferner it's the story of a Florida man who suffers from an unknown form of tinnitus His tinnitus has made his life unmanageable. And after seeking help from medical and scientific professionals, none of which were any help, by the way, um, this Florida man, he decides to diagnose himself. So he uh, burrows himself away in a makeshift laboratory where he conducts experiments to find out the origin of of the hums and the ringing in his ears. So he discovers that all organic things have its own distinct sound. This spiraling obsession opens up questions like does life have its own distinct sound? And does death have its own distinct sound? Uh, Masking Threshold blends Psychological horror, found footage, even body horror. And even documentary elements to the film. And, um, you know, right off the bat, I'll tell you that I I did like it. I thought it was really interesting. And um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Memento. Christopher Nolan's Memento. and um, Specifically if it was the sort of the uh, the, okay, so (laughs) I'm assuming you've seen Memento, so uh, but real quick, Memento's Christopher Nolan film, it's basically this uh, this guy who is trying to find the person who killed his wife and you kind of follow along with him trying to solve the case of the his wife's death, but the problem is is our main character, uh Leonard Shelby, played by uh, Guy Pierce, he he sustained a head injury during the murder of his wife from the killer, where he now is unable to create new memories. So he can only remember he can remember everyone everything about his life before he was attacked. But after the attack, he can only... Like, he's present in the moment. But after a few minutes, he'll forget where he is and what he's doing there. So, uh, very interesting film. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen Memento, well, go watch Memento. It's un- fucking fabulous. But uh, if you have seen Memento, then... Uh, then So, the Leonard Shelby character, sort of all the hotel scenes, the, the scenes that he narrates, so... When he's going through all of his notes, his maps, his pictures, his tattoos, every time he has like a flashback scene about the uh, Sammy Jenkins character, um, those moments in Memento really remind me of uh, Masking Threshold a lot. And so, as I mean, as a horror film, it lives, Masking Threshold, that is, it lives somewhere between Memento and uh, <laughs> where, if I had to pick like a middle. I don't know what kind of diagram that would be. It's, I don't. It's not a Venn diagram, but it's basically like, like, what is the between what two extremes would something lie on? I don't know if anybody knows what that's called. Just let me know. So basically, uh, masking threshold lives somewhere between. I would say, like, momento and phase four, and I don't know the August underground, <laughs> the first one specifically. Um, but with a budget of 20,000 euros, which is 20, I Okay. All I know about euros is American dollars are just a little bit more. So, uh, so basically $20,000, he was able to make this, uh, this film. And it's, I mean, for $20,000 looks great. Um, uh, Johannes Grunsfördner, uh, in a QA at the off screen film festival in Brussels in 2021, explained that since the whole movie was shot in a single room with heavy use of macro photography, uh, which, which is why I, uh, you know, mentioned the, the film Phase Four, um, um, it's, a, it's 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 force. It's a Saul Bass movie where uh, ants try to kill a couple of scientists who are uh, like barricaded in a geodesic dome. <laughs> um, there's tons of like macro photography in that movie, and ma- macro photography is uh, it's a type of photography where that deals uh, with extreme close-ups of tiny objects. So that's macro photography. There's a ton of that in, uh, in masking threshold. So, but he, uh, he explains that since he lives in Austria, and the film was made in Austria, that he had to make his own. He had to make this one room, uh, in his uh, where he lives. Uh, I guess in his house seem like a room in an apartment in Florida. So he explains the attention to detail involved in making a room in Vienna look like an everyday, normal room in Florida. And uh, here's actually a clip from that right now. This is Johannes further being uh, interviewed at a QA and a at the Offscreen Film Festival in Brussels in 2021.
1: Of course, I wanted it to... Uh... To take place in Florida, and there are different reasons for that. In the beginning, of course, I talk a little bit about the bad healthcare situation in the U.S., etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there were many, many, many reasons why I wanted it to to be in Florida. And uh, so what I needed is, I, and because you see all the stuff so detailed, you see the pencils and everything is like so close that you can't really trick a lot. So what I needed is like I needed kind of like an everyday American room. So, everything in America looks different. Even the, the, uh, the form of the staplers is different. Everything. Yeah, the, the form of the plastic bottles of Coke, etc. So, what I did is, I was in Florida in summer 2019 and uh, I bought two extra suitcases and filled it up with all the stuff that I need for the film. So, plastic bottles, vinegar. Uh, you know, like Whole Foods, uh, algae, all, all that stuff. So pretty much like all the stuff you see in the film, uh, I brought home in two suitcases. The only thing I forgot was grass. <laughs> Even the grass you see in the film is Floridian grass because you would see a difference. So a friend of mine was coming uh, in November from Florida to visit me in, in, in Vienna, and I told him, hey, I need grass, uh, bring me grass, and I like, what the fuck, what? Yeah, just take like a Tupperware, put grass in it, bring it to Austria. And he was super afraid that the Austrian customs would catch him and like, why are you bringing grass? <laughs> but I'm a very nerdy person. The, the character in the film is almost like the dark side of me. And uh, so I'm very peculiar about all of that kind of stuff. And uh, and I wanted it to be perfect. And so that's, that's what I tried to do.
0: <laughs> all right, so... Yeah, uh, masking threshold. Uh, I thought it was an interesting film. I will say that I pretty much knew how the movie was going to end about I don't know ten minutes in, but not in a way where it made watching the rest of the movie unbearable or anything like that. Like I was interested the entire time. I just kind of I knew how it was going to end, but you know I thought it was an interesting film um, and. I'll probably go back and look at some more of uh, Johannes Grunsfurther's uh, work. And so, if it's uh, you know, if it's anything like Masking Threshold, I think uh, pretty happy with that. But yeah, Masking Threshold, check it out. It's streaming. It's easy to find. Let's see what else did I watch? Oh, um, let's <laughs> from one thing that I recommend, Masking Threshold, to something that I don't recommend. At all. Maybe with an asterisk. If you... I don't know. I I know there's... I know know there's people out there who enjoy poorly made movies. Like poorly made horror films, specifically. They love them a shitty, especially modern day, horror film. And um, if that's you that I'm speaking to, then this film is... For you, and it is the 2020 fi- 2022 film called Bitch Ass. And uh, Bitch Ass is brought to us from the good people who brought us uh, the movie Karen. If you ever saw that movie, Karen is it's unintentionally funny. Um, it's actually, you know what, watch Karen. It's from the same studio who did uh, Bitch Ass, but Karen is a... It's a better made movie, and it's trying to really have... I don't know. It's trying to make some kind of... I don't know. It's trying to make a statement about r- r- race relations between white people and black people, but it really just falls on its fucking face and ends up coming off sort of racist. <laughs> but... um yeah, I can tell you, I'll just tell you, uh, I don't, uh, I don't recommend bitch ass, but I did end up seeing it because I got tricked. So let me get into that. So, anyways, um, the so the intro to the film is the same as the trailer that got me to watch the movie, and it's great. It's it's Tony Todd, and. Tony Todd is, uh, if you've seen the original Candyman, Tony Todd is Candyman. And he's in a bunch of other stuff. He was in a, a movie a few years ago. It was a horror movie called uh, Hellfest. Where there's a slasher villain who's inside of a amusement park uh, during Halloween time. So the whole, you know, the whole park is spooky and scary and there's actors walking around jumping out and scaring people. But there's a killer who's sort of disguised as one of the uh kind of the park you know um actors who are supposed to scare people and is actually killing people that's basically what hellfest is about but like tony todd has a little role in it also in the the trailer for hellfest they take advantage of having tony todd there cuz he you know he has a a pretty small part in the movie but you know of course he's all over the trailer and and it's it's especially egregious in the bitch ass trailer. So, so Tony Todd takes on the sort of like Vincent Price cryptkeeper horror host role, um, and then you just never see him again. Well, he creeps in at the absolute last minute of the movie, and you know before the credits roll, but he was in the trailer, so it'll lead you, you to believe that he's in the movie, and he's not. So, if you've seen the bitch-ass um, trailer, and you're like, oh, cool. Like, and Tony Todd's in it. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's not in it at all. So, don't waste your time. So, his, <laughs> his, like, horse star power was used to suck people in. And I'm sure Tony Todd was paid handsomely to go into a studio for, like, one day. And uh, do you know say his lines and then leave, but it's deceptive. So shame on the people who made bitch ass. Actually, the guy who directed it, he was I maybe mean, I didn't even bother remembering his, remembering his fucking name. All I know, he was in one of the seasons of Survivor. That's who the director is. It's deceptive, and shame shame on him for basically fucking tricking people to watch his movie instead of actually putting clips from the movie. It's like. You put fucking Tony Todd talking about the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's not cool, man. But anyways, uh, so our protagonist is a is a guy named Q, and Q is a goody two shoes high school senior who dreams of becoming a doctor. But Q is also trying to get recruited into a local gang. Okay. <laughs> Because that's the thing that people do, right? They're trying to get good grades so they can go to medical school, but they're also like, I want to be in a street gang. That's totally something that people do, right? Um, Maybe that's where Dr. Dre went to school. I don't know. And he, he believes that, okay, so Q believes that gang life will somehow help pay to take care of him and his single mom. And, I mean, apparently a job never occurred to him. He's so fucking smart. When I I was in high school, I had a job. I had a job all through high school. Okay? And I wasn't doing it to, like, help support my family. Like, my parents had jobs, too. My mom was a nurse. My stepdad was an electrician. Like, we were... Financially, we were fine. We were, like, a pretty normal middle class, you know, household. But I got a job... Because, well, one, it was like, it was kind of cool to have a fucking job, you know what I mean? Um, Because you get money, and then you have, you don't pay rent, because you're in fucking high school. And, you know, then I can just blow money on shit. So, you know, I I bought all my own clothes, and I bought tons of fucking, like, punk records. And need gas money. I had a car in fucking high school, so it's like all, you know, my money got, a ton of it got thrown at my car. And, um, you know wooing bitches, I guess, I don't know, (laughs) um, but yeah, that's, that's just left out, like, Q just, it's, he's trying to be this good student, but it's like, what, you can't, if your mom's struggling that hard to fucking raise you, it's like, get a fucking job, asshole, so anyways, um, so, okay, so, (laughs) the initiation for the gang that you know, you know, Q's trying to get into the initiation is to rob a house in a rob the house of a recently deceased wealthy old lady. Uh, her house is said to contain a fortune, it is ripe for the pillaging, right? So, the whole scene where like the main gang leader is like, uh, you know, he's explaining to the new recruits, like, you want to be in this gang, y'all gotta go rob this fucking house you know to prove your worth right so so there's Q and then there's three other gang recruits whose names are Tuck Moo and Cricket (laughs) so Q Tuck Moo and Cricket break into the house under the cover of of night okay so they go to this old lady's house um funny because when they get up to the front of the you know the house it's supposed to be supposed to be empty right because the old lady lived there alone and she's dead and there's no one there. So once they get up to the house there's like this scene where they're just like, okay, what window are we gonna break into? Like does anybody know how to pick a lock or whatever? But it's like the whole front of the house is lit like it's a fucking movie. Like it's supposed to be nighttime and they're supposed to be like sneaking around in the dark but like everything is brightly lit. <laughs> like the whole house. It's just lit very brightly. And I was just like, this doesn't seem like... Uh, this doesn't seem like night <laughs> Okay, so they get to the house. Okay, and... Okay. Suddenly, we get this... So, okay, so they go and break into the house. While they're breaking into the house, we suddenly get an, a completely out of place and jarring flashback scene to... Oh, it's a flashback that no one is having, by the way. Okay, this is... Like, the movie is having a flashback. Not even any of our four characters. So, the movie has a flashback to a character named Cecil who lives with his grandma. And his parents died off-screen in a car crash when Cecil was a child. And his grandma is this devout Christian lady who is both... Physically and psychologically abusive towards Cecil. Cecil also turns out to be the titular bitch ass. Okay, so we get sort of an origin story of uh, of bitch ass the the character. Oh, by the way, okay, let me just explain. Bitch ass is the name, and it's in the um, uh, yeah, it's in the Tony Todd trailer. Okay, so bitch ass is the name of the slasher in this movie. So, so these flashbacks of Cecil being abused by his grandma pop up kind of throughout the movie. They're sort of sprinkled around the movie. I mean, I, and it, I guess in an attempt for you to empathize with him uh, throughout the movie, because, you know, he's the slasher, so he's killing a bunch of people, but you kind of want to feel bad for him because his past was awful, which is no fucking excuse to go and kill a bunch of people. <laughs> you know what is a good excuse? Then breaking into your fucking house. That's a good excuse for killing people. But uh, so Q and his merry band of Scooby-Doo-like home invaders break into. they break in through the basement, right? And they break into the basement and there's the word start on the floor. But it's not like painted on the floor or written on the floor. It's like CG inserted. So it's actually it looks like the word start is sort of like floating in midair down on the floor. It looks like, you know what it looks like? It looks like the title setting uh, for uh, iMovie called Sideways Drift. It looks like that. It looks weird and out of place. And it could have been really interesting, but it, it, (laughs) it it wasn't. It looks out of place and fake and the same sort of bad floating font appears in the front room once they actually get inside the main part of the house. And how do we know it's the front room? Because uh, the floating iMovie font at the top of the stairs says, Front Room. Again, um, no one can see it. Just us, the audience, the actual characters in the movie uh, can't see um, these, <laughs> these floating... Invisible words that describe where, what, what room you're in. We also get a, uh, God, it's like this weird title card screen of, and it shows the five characters in the movie, um, but they're on like these weird playing cards. Like, it's like the, it's like the game. Guess who? Okay. It's got their face and their name on it. And at the top of the screen, it says the player's. And the five cards are the main characters. Our four bur- uh, burglars, uh, Tuck, Q, Moo, and Cricket, and Bitch-Ass, each have their own card. Okay? So the movie's saying, hey, this movie is like a board game. Okay? This is like a game. So everyone uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> Which is why they put, like, start in the basement and front room. It's almost It's like they're playing a board game. Okay. that's the movie's like this. This whole, this whole fucking movie is gonna be like a board game. So it's, everyone get, uh, gets inside, and then everyone decides to split up, of course, because it's a horror movie, and it's easier to kill everyone that way if everyone's split up. So, bitch ass plays a game. Um, well, I'm just going to kind of jump to, okay, well, once they're in the house, they all split up, and this is kind of what happens, right? Because eventually, of course, Bitch-Ass is going to appear and start killing off these people. So, Bitch-Ass plays a game of Operation with the first, uh, the, okay, there was another victim, like, kind of, like, pre-credits that Bitch-Ass kills, but Bitch-Ass doesn't just kill you, he wants to kill you in the form of, like, a game, so the first uh, victim bitch ass plays this a game of a game called Drop Four because you can't say Connect Four because that game is owned by Hasbro and Hasbro doesn't play that shit. They're like, don't you fucking misrepresent our board game in your fucking shitty movie? So that's basically um, that's basically how this movie goes from this point on, right? So. It's low budgetness really stands out. Like when there's a uh, there's a scene where our protagonist Q he breaks the lock off of a trunk because they're kind of ransacking the house. Like when the old lady died, like for some reason all of her shit is still there. <laughs> it's like okay, um, so all of her stuff is in there. So uh, uh, Q breaks the lock off like a big trunk. With this large, obviously, cardboard crucifix. And I guess they only had, like, one large cardboard crucifix. But the filmmaker thought it looked really, like, fancy. So they put that crucifix in, like, every room and hallway in the movie. So, oh, another thing that was sort of, like... Like, I get this is a low-budget movie, but it's, like... There's certain attention, like attention, attention to detail was, it was just overlooked. You know, it's like, okay, there's like a flashback where it's 1980. Okay. So one of these flashbacks uh, were in 1980 and there's like a fucking Toyota Prius driving around in the background. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Toyota Prius didn't exist in 1980. Okay, you couldn't have been like, okay, cut. Okay, let's, let's wait till the Toyota Prius drives by because those didn't fucking exist 40 years ago. So let's wait till it drives by and then we'll try to shoot again. But no, they didn't do that. They're like, oh, it's fine. No one will notice these modern cars in the background. Like if Stranger Things did that or something, you'd be like, what the fuck? There's no fucking uh, Toyota Priuses in the fucking 80s. Like you would notice that. But uh, I guess nobody, but the editor of this film probably didn't didn't notice that. So so ultimately, bitch ass becomes becomes this low budget, poorly made saw ripoff. And if you want to see a low budget film where people have to like solve puzzles in order to survive, some sort of six serial killers game, then go watch a movie called behind the seventh door. Okay. That I know I brought this up. I don't know a while ago on an older episode, but behind the seventh door to me, it should be on the same level as like the room. Cause everyone loves the room and everyone loves the disaster artist. And, me, I don't like the room at all. I don't think it's. I mean, there's like everyone likes to laugh at all the like goofy shit in it, but I'm like, I don't find the room to even be entertaining enough to watch all of that crap. It's just, I, and I've I, I've watched the room like one and a half times. I watched it one all the one time all the way through, and then I tried to watch it another time, and I got like halfway through, and I was like, I'm fucking too bored to fucking finish watching this. So yeah, so if you want to see, <laughs> but behind the seventh door is great because there's all these like games and obstacles that people have to fucking solve, otherwise they'll die. So, so, it's, so it's, but so bitch ass is basically like a saw rip off, except jigsaw is uh, a black dude in a in a mask basically. Um, so what else can I say about bitch ass? Um. Let's see. Ooh, I I read that uh, Clarence Williams III was considered for the Tony Todd role. Oh, yeah, Tony Todd's um, character's name. And I don't even know why they bothered giving him a name. You know, it's like he's the host, you know. It's not like, I don't know. His uh, Tony Todd's character's name was Titus Dark. And dark is spelled D A R Q. Um, yeah, Clarence Williams the Clarence Williams the third has he he's probably a little more selective in the roles that he plays. You know, Tony Tony Todd. You know, I respect Tony Todd, but I think he'll definitely take a paycheck where he can get it. Um, Clarence Williams the third. He's he's the fucking. Uh, what is it? He's the creepy old guy in tells from the hood. Uh, he was in. Uh, he's I think uh, he's in Purple Rain. He's like Prince's dad in Purple Rain. Uh, he's in Deep Cover, and um, of course, uh, half baked in the character of Samson. Okay, everyone loves Samson. He was. Uh, he was also in the original uh, Twin Peaks, and was even in. Um, my personal favorite uh, television show from the 80s uh, Miami Vice and he <laughs> Clarence Williams III's, uh he's in this episode where he's like an evil Haitian voodoo priest named Legba and, <laughs> and uh, he like he like uh, injects tubs with some kind of voodoo fucking hallucinogenic thing it's it's basically Serpent and the Rainbow. If you've seen that Bill Pullman, Wes Craven movie, the Serpent and uh, Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, it's basically that, except it's Miami Vice. It's hilarious. I love Miami Vice, uh, <laughs> but um, you know what? I'm done talking about bitch ass. I don't recommend it. Um, if I mean again, like if you like bad horror movies, um, yeah then watch it. (laughs) But I, I'm not interested in ever seeing it again. Um, so now I'm going to move on to something else. Uh, here's some honorable mentions. I just kind of tacked these on to this episode. I wasn't uh, originally going to talk about them, but, uh, I'm going to talk about them now. Uh, there's, there was two movies that I saw uh, recently that I, I thought were, uh, really cool. They're both, uh, documentaries. I've been on a big documentary kick lately, so... Uh, One of them was the 2022 film, Alex's War. And Alex's War is a documentary directed by Alex Lee Moyer, who you'll know from the 2020 doc, TFW, No GF, which I covered on episode 33, uh, on the episode titled, The 1995 Film, Heat, is an action film. Anyone who says otherwise is a disgusting liar. Also, incel subculture is entertaining. That's the title of the show for episode 33. That's what I decided to title it. It's a long title, but it's also a really long fucking episode. It's like a four-hour episode where I just talk about heat. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, uh... But yeah, Alex Lee Moyer, I found to be a pretty interesting, uh, documentarian. And, um, I saw a interview with Alex Lee Moyer after I watched, uh, TFW, no GF. And she was asked like, what is she working on now? Like what's her next project? And she says, uh, I'm working on a documentary about Alex Jones. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's going to be fucking great. Alex Jones, of course. In Austin, Texas. Just living in Austin. I can feel. I can feel the presence of Alex Jones around me. You know what I mean? It's like, I know he's out there. Um, <laughs> I can feel him. I can feel his presence. Um, did you? I don't know if you knew this. Did you know Alex Jones has to owe over a billion. Billion with a B. Billion dollars to the. Uh the uh, parents of the Sandy hook massacre. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Um, Where was I? Oh yeah. Alex's war. It's a interesting character study into Alex Jones and it bounces back and forth, um, through archival footage, obviously, because this is a documentary. There's a lot of archival footage. Um, But it bounces back and forth through archival footage from the sort of optimistic and fun pre-9-11 world where the term conspiracy theory wasn't thrown around by smug, partisan, drone assholes. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, conspiracy theories were, like... I don't know, it was, like, fun. It was, like, you know, it was fun to talk about. And, um... And then, the, and then of course we get, uh, we get, we get sort of like older footage and then we get a uh, current day where Alex Jones is being ordered to pay a billion dollars to the parents and of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre and, uh, his part in the, uh, so there's, you know, there's footage of that. And then there's footage of, um, Alex Jones and his crew from Infowars. uh, at the Capitol during the big, scary January 6 nothing burger that the current administration believes is equal to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Do you remember that? Do you, do you remember when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris went on TV and said that January 6 is, is equal to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. <laughs> they said it with a straight face, and they because to convey that it's serious what they're saying. Oh god! Anyways, um, so I don't know. You know, it's you know what? Let me go back to this. You, you want to know why the '90s was so great? Because subjects like UFOs, Area Fifty One the Kennedy assassination and other assorted government cover-up type things were accepted. Like, I mean, we were inundated with this stuff. Okay. So, it so you got, you got like Oliver Stone's JFK. There was a, a fire in the sky. These are all movies I'm talking about. In case you hadn't figured that out. Uh, there was uh, enemy of the state. Uh, there was, Wag the Dog, there was the X-Files, the Matrix. Uh, On TV there was Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings, which my godfather, my Uncle Chris, was was actually on multiple episodes of Unsolved Mysteries and he was on an episode of Sightings because he worked in the world of paranormal investigating, which is pretty fucking cool, which I think he still does to this day. Okay, so like even even post nine eleven introduced introduced independent content. It, it was like this independent content overload after nine eleven. It was it was like the new wild west internet world where everything was sort of like everything was possible, and not not everything was you know fucking censored and deplatformed and fucking whatever at that point. So. I mean, Alex Jones played himself in well, two actually. Richard Linklater films. He was in The Waking Life, um, which is was sort of like a like a weird hybrid. Um, I don't want to call it rotoscope, but it was a rotoscope type um, kind of animated movie. And an, and he was also in A, a Scanner Darkly. Which uh, Scanner Darkly is fucking fantastic. If you haven't fucking seen that, it's like Keanu Reeves and fucking Robert Downey Jr. The fucking that one dude from Days and Confused. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Alex Jones is in that is in both of those movies as himself, and, and both times he's like he has like a megaphone. What was it? I think I think in the, the uh, yeah, in a Scanner Darkly, he's like just standing at like a fucking. <laughs> Like in a strip mall at night and he's just yelling into a megaphone about how fucked up the government is and the uh, the elites and how they control the world and all the shit. And in The Waking Life, he's in this like old car on like, like on a fucking, uh, like, a, uh, like on a radio with like loudspeakers coming out of the fucking car, um, which was actually like a thing that Alex Jones did in Austin. Like he would drive around and just yell shit at fucking people about, you know who knows, fluoridated water and I don't know, 13 bloodlines, in the Illuminati or whatever. I should really know more about conspiracy theories. Cause I'm on another show called condomin. In case you didn't know um, where myself and the, um, the host Sean on Shondo, we talk about conspiracy theories, but it's really Sean's show. And I'm, he kind of presents all this information to me and I just sort of react to this information and um, it's fun it's a really good show, you should check it out it's called Con Men Podcast but things as of the past 10 years or so have really kind of simmered down to this like boring and uninteresting land of plenty Um, where it's like there's more content than ever but it's all everyone is sort of like too scared to, like, say some real shit, and, I don't know, it seems like everybody, even independent filmmakers, like, no one's taking chances, no one's doing anything revolutionary, everyone's just, I don't know, everyone's just trying to make shit that's, you know, generally pretty safe, and, you know, if they're lucky, maybe it'll end up on Netflix or something, it's, it's kind of sad, actually, but but then but then you get someone like Alex Lee Moyer who does a documentary about Alex Jones and that shit's never going to be on fucking Netflix but it's on Amazon actually I watched it on Amazon and I think it's on Vudu too I think but um but yeah whether you love or hate or are indifferent towards Alex Jones you know it's it's still a really interesting documentary and I do feel that director alex lee moiter had honorable intentions with alex's war and in an almost like cinema verite look at alex jones sort of fly on the wall perspective and i don't think that this documentary will sway anybody's you know opinion about alex jones like if you if you liked alex jones you know you'll see this and you'll probably like him more. And if you hated Alex Jones, you'll probably watch, watch, this and be like, yeah, see, I knew he was a piece of shit. But I mean, I've also read a bunch of shit online where of people who are just like, this is propaganda. Alex Lee Moyer is, you know, he's, is, is pro, is pro Alex Jones and pro Trump and is awful. And, you know, is trying to make fucking Alex Jones into a martyr or into a hero or something. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think that she shot everything as it was. And... You know, you can kind of draw your own conclusion. You know, it's not like this puff piece about how cool fucking Alex Jones is. Because I don't think it's that at all, you know. And, you know, she was she was successful in finding moments of Alex Jones being vulnerable. Him talking about, you know, his family. How he grew up. And... Yeah. You know, that's just my opinion. I don't think that you know I, I I do feel that she tried to be as objective as possible and wasn't trying to, you know. I mean, I do think that Alex Jones has been made another martyr in the battle for free speech. And that's sort of the thing with him is like he's definitely like, he's bombastic and hyperbolic and comes off as crazy. And, but it's like, and people don't like what he has to say. I get that. But it's like, when you, when you start making people pay billions of dollars for, you know, just talking, like, it's not, it's not, a win. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't think of a single person, especially like a celebrity. Okay. Like I considered Alex Jones a celebrity. He's like, if you're on the view and that's in the documentary too, like he was on the view, I think probably just once, but you know, it's like, if you're on the view, you're a celebrity. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think that any celebrity should have to pay billions of dollars to just because you said something. And, you know, okay, so I'm going to defend Alex Jones a little bit. He did, he was, he was completely wrong about Sandy Hook. And he did apologize and he retracted and corrected what he said. You know, he didn't incite violence. If he would have incited violence, like if he was like, fucking Sandy Hook was fucking fake and it was a false flag and fucking people out there. If you see the fucking parents... Of these supposed victims, you should fucking harass them and throw shit at them and fucking send them threatening letters and get them fired from their jobs. Like I would have, I'd be like, well, that's wrong, Alex. (laughs) That's not protected free speech. If you're inciting people to do illegal shit, that's not protected free speech. And Alex Jones should fucking probably get probably get fucking prison time for that. But I mean, everything that I I mean, I think I know probably. More than the average person about fucking the whole Alex Jones fucking thing, I don't know everything obviously, but I know and I've looked into it enough to know that like he was wrong, and he apologized, and but now he has to pay like bill. I mean, I can see if he had to pay some type of restitution to the families, but like, bro, a billion dollars over a billion dollars—that's crazy, but. I don't know. I don't think I'm fucking, you know, saying anything groundbreaking or anything. That's just my opinion. But but, <laughs> but anyways, Alex's War. So it's a lovely documentary, and I did enjoy it very much, and I do recommend it. So uh, what else? Let's see. Oh, next up was a documentary called Clay Dream. It's a 2021 doc directed by Mark Evans. And if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you've seen uh, the work of animator Will Vinton. Okay, Will Vinton was a pioneer in the art of claymation. He's responsible for the California Raisins. The, if you remember the Domino's commercial with the character of the Noid, the Domino's Noid, uh, that was Will Vinton. The, the claymation scenes in Return to Oz. I recommend watching Return to Oz, especially if you like to smoke weed <laughs> or if you have insomnia or something and you're just up late and it's dark and you're alone. Watch Return to Oz. It's starting a very young Feruza Bulk. Um, but there's a great scene where, uh, like this mountain comes alive and starts attacking our characters and shit, but it's all in claymation and it looks fucking really cool. Um, so if you, if you know what I'm talking about, that was Will Vinton who uh, made all of that. Um, if you ever seen Michael Jackson's Moonwalker movie, which when I was a kid, I actually would go to the video store and rent that all the time. I really, there's really, it was like. It was around the bad era. The the Michael Jackson album, Bad. I was, like, really into Michael Jackson as a kid. And when Moonwalker came out... I don't know if that was in theaters. I have no fucking idea. But um, it was definitely in the video store when I was a kid. And I fucking watched Moonwalker a million times. And it's a fucking weird fucking movie. Um, But there's... um, There's, like, music. Like, the Smooth Criminal... Music video is in that movie, so if you have just seen the Smooth Criminal music video, um, that's actually a, an entire scene from Moonwalker. So, but there's also another um, Michael Jackson song called Speed Demon, and it's all claymation, and it's like Michael Jackson is like he's like um, he's like having a dance battle with this like claymation like like bunny rabbit character who's dressed just like him. And um, so if you've seen that, that's, that's all Will Vinton. And it's in the documentary too. Like he's, he has recordings from his old answering machine of Michael Jackson, just like calling him a million times. Like, Hey, Will, it's Michael Jackson. Answer the phone. Beep. Next message. Hey, Will, uh, Michael Jackson calling again. Uh, Get back to me. I really want to work together and all this shit. Um, What else is Will Vinton then? Oh, so there came a period of time where, like, uh, this is in the, in, you know, this is in the documentary too, where it was sort of like claymation was sort of like, it was sort of like a fad, you know, like it, it kind of was losing popularity. So Will Vinton was able to, you know, he's a creative guy. He was able to kind of pivot, you know, in the 90s when things became more, you know, like more digital movies, you know, like more computer based things like Toy Story and shit like that, like where, um, Will Vinton's actually uh, responsible for the M&M's characters you know the commercials where there's little fucking anthropomorphized M&M's talking and shit like that was Will Vinton he invented that shit um and if you go way back he he even won an Oscar in 1975 with his then co-creator uh, Bob Gardner for um their their animated short film called Closed Mondays and in it's weird. <laughs> it's a fucking weird animated short. But it's it's really cool fucking claymation and I don't know if you grew up with that, you know. If you want to go do a Will Vinton deep dive like, you know. I'd I would I would encourage you to go do it. Um what else did he do? Like if you're if you grew up in the 90s, like he did um there was like an Eddie Murphy TV show called The PJs. Like he did that and um but yeah, 1975 Oscars. Did you, Okay. Did you know the Francis Ford Coppola, he had two movies nominated for best picture in 1975? One was The Godfather 2 and the other was The Conversation. Has that ever happened before? Where a director has two movies nominated for best picture? That's crazy to me. I don't know if that's ever happened before or since. But those are two really good movies. Godfather 2, obviously amazing. It's the fucking Empire Strikes Back of fucking Godfather movies. And The Conversation, which I'm a giant fucking fan of. I can't recommend The Conversation enough. Um, fucking Gene Hackman, he plays a guy who, like, puts fucking hidden cameras... Not hidden cameras, he's he's an audio guy. He basically is able to, uh, like, record secret conversations and sell that the recordings to the highest bidder sort of thing but but it's a, it's a really good movie about paranoia about a, a, a person who's sort of like a loner who kind of like the one thing on earth that they're really really good at uh, sort of turns on them and they become very very uh, paranoid that people are off to get them the conversation is fucking great Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, Clay Dream is a, it's sort of a, a you watch, it's like a, the rise and fall of, you know, a person uh, type documentary and it's got, it's got a lot of drama sprinkled around and, um, you know, it talks about Will Vinton's, uh, you know, he had an animation studio in the Bay Area and at some point, uh, Philip Knight, he's the guy who, uh, I guess started Nike. Uh, Philip Knight. Um, I know Will Vinton did some commercials for Nike in like 1986. Okay, so that's kind of where how their relationship started. But at some point, uh, Philip Knight invested um, a giant chunk of money into Will Vinton's animation studio, and I guess the animation studio uh, like took a financial hit at some point, and um, you know Will Vinton. Oh, I'm sorry. Philip Knight had, he had this like rich kid, wigger, white rapper son who he went to Will Vinton and said, Hey, I got this son and he's like into animation. Like he wants to like learn how to animate. Can you get him a job? You know, he could just kind of use, you know, use the old nepotism to get his son a job. So it was Will Vinton, who, from what I can tell, it's it like no matter what happened in his life he's always stayed positive which is really kind of like the thing that pulls the nose up um in the most darkest parts of this fucking documentary is that Will Vinton is a dude who has just always been optimistic and positive and um so, so Philip Knight's son gets a fucking job at Will Vinton's animation studio and then fast forward a few years where as soon as the animation stu- uh, studio started like losing money Uh, Philip Knight like just fucking uh, he sort of loitered up and kind of went after Will Vinton and like stole his fucking animation studio away from him and fired Will Vinton, like kicked him out of his own studio. And who did he put in charge to run his animation studio? His fucking son. (laughs) Philip Knight installed his fucking son to run the animation studio. And since then, um, I mean, the entire studio kind of changed around after that, but the kind of notable things that studio has made, from what I can remember, is um, Coraline, which I did like Coraline. Uh, that's a good movie. And um, was it Kubo and the Two Strings, which I didn't see, and I had absolutely no interest in seeing it all, but that's fucked up. Now I can't watch Coraline the same way now, because I know that the guy who fucking made that movie is a fucking slimy asshole <laughs> but hey that's i mean i guess that's just business you know but i don't like it you know will Vinton seemed like a really nice guy and he got his he got fucked over for his company that's that's a shame but. anyways clay dream i like it yeah, i recommend it it's a good documentary um check that out oh oh my goodness so we're coming to the end folks and this next film was recommended to me by i guess he's a listener (laughs) i have no idea if he listens to this show or not but um he's a he's a a fine fine gentleman he's um This movie was recommended to me by Mr. Dan Dimidio of Oakland, California, and um, Dan is the owner of Dax Lee's Barber and Apothecary. It's a barber shop out in Oakland with uh, two locations serving the Oakland area for all your finer barbering needs. And um, I've actually known Dan. For a long time, uh, you know, he was running, he was a one of the managers at a shop I worked at in San Francisco when I was like, you know, when I just went into barber school and I was like, you know, working the front desk at this barber shop, just like sweeping floors and folding towels and shit. But Dan was always super fucking cool to me and um, great guy. If you ever make it out to Oakland and you want to go get a fucking haircut, go to Dax Lee. Daxley's Barbershop. Well, I guess the technical term is Daxley's Barber and Apothecary. And that's D-A-X-L-E-E-S, Daxley's. Uh, Anyways, uh, thanks for your recommendation, Dan. Dan. Dan hits me up and is like, hey, have you seen a movie called The Greasy Strangler? And I've heard about The Greasy Strangler, but I've never seen it. And I figured... Well, I guess now's a, as good a time as any. So, again, thanks for the recommendation, Dan. And The Greasy Strangler, 2016 film, directed by Jim Hosking. Now, for this is a weird movie to talk about. And um, I'm going to explain it sort of my way. Because <laughs> a lot of people like to talk about the more surface-level things to about the greasy strangler but I'm gonna okay I'm I'll explain the story of the movie as if it were a normal movie which it's not I'll I'll do that first then I'll jump into the more kind of surrealist absurd aspects of the film after that okay cool So um there's a father and son Big Ronnie and Big Brayden They live and work together uh, for their family business, which is leading walking tours through their undisclosed city. Um, These tours focus on sort of historical disco-related locations, such as, hey, see that random apartment over there? Earth, wind, and fire used to live there. So... During one of these tours, Big Braden, played by Sky Elobar, takes a liking to a lady in the tour group named Janet, played by Elizabeth Durazzo. And they begin dating and quickly fall in love. But Braden's father, Big Ronnie, played by Michael St. Michael. Oh, and this is interesting. Michael St. Michael was actually a hairdresser. I don't know for how long. But I know he was a hairdresser to the stars for some period of time back in the day. Um, most notably uh, for John Travolta. So that's kind of cool. And John Travolta was like in the ultimate fucking disco movie of all time. He was in Saturday Night Fever. So so there you go. There you go, Dan. See, look at it. There's a connection to hair. <laughs> to hairdressing. Um... Where was I? Okay, so uh, what was it? Big Braden meets Janet. Okay, so they begin dating, uh, but Braden's father, Big Ronnie, he doesn't approve of their relationship. And Big Ronnie's plan to break them up is to seduce Janet and trick her into having sex with him. So during all of this sort of like weird love triangle, uh, oh, just so you know, um, everyone involved is an adult, okay. Big Braden isn't like fifteen or something, okay. Fucking like Big Ronnie's old as fuck, but like Brayden is like a he's he's like a forty something year old man, okay, and uh, and Janet is probably you know thirties, late thirties or something like that. So, so during this whole love triangle, there is a serial killer called the Greasy Strangler. Was killing people in this undisclosed city under the cover of night okay uh, what do we know about the grease stranger well he's he's naked he's covered head to toe in grease almost to the point where it's, it looks like thick candle wax he's completely covered head to toe in grease and um, he strangles people to death pops out their eyes and eats them so <laughs> so Brayden at some point becomes suspicious that his father Big Ronnie may be the greasy strangler so Braden, Brayden's suspicions ultimately prove correct but before Big Ronnie can be brought to justice he ends up attacking Brayden and kidnapping Janet so Brayden <laughs> decides to fight fire with fire. He decides to fight f- grease fire with grease fire by stripping naked, climbing into a barrel of grease. Uh, oh, yeah. Wh- where did he get the barrel of grease, Adam? Uh, well, the barrel, b- barrel of grease is hidden in Big Ronnie's bedroom in the closet, obviously. So he d- he, he gets naked. He dips himself in grease and it sort of transforms Brayden into a greasy strangler himself. Okay? Then he goes out. He tracks down Big Ronnie inside of a local movie theater called the Horror House by the way, which is uh, I assume they only play horror movies because it's the Horror House, not Horror House. Okay? You understand the distinction? Okay. Good. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Braden tracks down uh, Big Ronnie at the at the theater and, and instead of fighting his father to the death to save the woman he loves, Brayden ends up strangling Janet to death and killing her. Also, popping out her eyes and him and his father end up eating him, but after this, Braden and Ronnie run off into the woods to live out their lives as Greasy stranglers. Beast-like creatures that are half human and half insane. And uh, uh, the end. <laughs> that's basically, in the most normal, basic, stripped-down explanation I can give this movie, that's basically what the movie's about, okay? Oh, actually, if speaking of horror movies, horror movies... Not horror movies, horror movies. Uh, Big Ronnie played by Michael St. Michael. Uh, you may, I mean, you probably wouldn't recognize him. because he look he, he looks a lot different now, but uh, he would you may recognize him from a movie called The Video Dead, and it's a horror movie from the 80s. And it's it's like it's not the best it's a zombie movie but it's not it's not really the best zombie movie in the world but it's got a good concept it's about an evil television that acts as a portal for zombies from a a zombie movie that's playing on the TV to enter our world and start eating people kind of an interesting concept um Also, Michael St. Michael, it's not like he's in the movie that long. I think he gets killed in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie. (laughs) But if you're a horror fan, you probably know the video dead. And, you know, Michael St. Michael was in that. I watched The Greasy Strangler on a flight. Um, it was nighttime. I was in an airplane yeah, aisle seat. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know that um, there was a scene that after after one of Ronnie's uh, greasy strangler murder scenes, uh, actually every time uh, Big Ronnie kills somebody, uh, he will go to this car wash. And he walks through the car wash to clean all the grease off of himself. And it's actually very funny. Um, I guess also, that's a really good way to get rid of evidence. You know, if you're covered in grease, you're probably not leaving much uh, DNA evidence um, for the police to find. You're definitely not leaving fingerprints, you know, because you're uh, covered in grease, but... (laughs) Big <laughs> Big Ronnie goes to the car wash. He cleans himself off, and uh, so when he comes out of the car wash, he's uh, he's completely cleaned of all the grease, and he's gone through the you know the the giant blow dryer that dries off your car. So he comes out, he's completely clean and um, he's naked. And uh, Ronnie has like um he's got a really large pubic bush. And he has a huge, just uncut dick. It's, <laughs> it's a whole thing in the movie. Brayden is like he's like a huge guy, but he's got like a like a micro penis, and uh, Big Ronnie's got like a giant dick. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> okay, so at, at this particular scene, uh, fucking Big Ronnie kills a guy, goes through the car wash comes out, he's walking around with his dick out, and he walks uh, he walks out of the car wash and briefly chats with his blind uh, blind friend and uh, owner of the car wash, uh, the character of Big Paul. And Big Paul has no idea what the fuck is going on. You know, he's blind, but every time Big Ronnie goes through, he's just like, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" <laughs> Big Paul's like, "Oh man, coming through to wash your car again." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And um, so during this scene, it kind of dawned on me that someone might be watching what I'm watching over my shoulder. You get that feeling like you're being watched. So I'm on the plane. All the lights are out, right? And I'm kind of looking around me. and Nobody sitting near me is really... No one's looking at my screen. So I kind of like look over my shoulder... I turn left and I look over my shoulder and like kind of behind me to my left I lock eyes with this lady who's like breastfeeding her child um well I guess nowadays it's called chest feeding right so no longer breastfeeding she was chest feeding her child and (laughs) we like locked eyes for like a good three seconds and the look in her eyes was not one of like shock or disgust, but sort of a look of like, dude, what are you watching? You know, like, <laughs> and, and like her husband's like just dead asleep next to her. Like with his mouth open snoring. It was weird. It was awkward. It was, <laughs> it was very awkward, but um let's see. I've heard a lot of uh, kind of comparisons uh, about The Greasy Strangler to a sort of like a kind of a range of films. But, you know, you hear sort of comparisons to Napoleon Dynamite or to the films of John Waters. And I can definitely see that. Um, I also think that elements of I don't know. This is just me, but, <laughs> but I, after really kind of sitting down and thinking about it uh, for this episode, I kind of feel like there's elements of like Henry portrait of a serial killer and Tim and Eric and even like gummo and even um, the Andy Samberg movie hot rod. I actually like hot rod. I think it's a funny movie. It's like stupid, but I enjoy it. I, I don't know. If you like any of those movies, you might like the Greasy Strangler. And it's weird. The movie's like it. It doesn't seem like on paper. It doesn't seem like something I would like. Like I'd be like. It seems stupid and annoying on purpose. But I I I do and I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was kind of like a fun movie, even though it's like kind of dumb but but the Greasy Stringler is knowingly awkward and unpleasant and grotesque yet has garnered like a cult following but why um, I think the fact that there's there's a through line of a father and son relationship that was that is fraught with tension resentment and there's a there's a real kind of past, you know. Um, that's in between all the craziness in the in the movie. There's they actually take the time to kind of like sprinkle in the relationship between this father and son and how it's been pretty much rocky the entire time they've known each other, you know. And the, the this codependent relationship of a middle-aged man living with his elderly overbearing father is, it's kind of, it's sort of endearing in a way. And in the end, I mean, by the end of the movie, this whole story brought them closer together, which is, you know, uh, kind of sweet in one way. But, um, I mean, if you ignore all the murder and, uh, <laughs> all that stuff, but, All of that is sort of just, just below the surface, of an absurd comic book like world, and by comic book like world, I mean Robert Crumb. I mean uh, Simon Hanselman, not Marvel or DC Comics. Okay. Also, read Robert Crumb. I know it's kind of. It, he, he's probably a little harder for people to kind of deal with in, t- in terms of his his his, anim- his cartooning uh, maybe not so much his cartoon style but definitely the way he writes his characters but, but uh, Simon Hanselman check out you know what just go on Amazon or wherever you buy books and uh, or if you just find it used see if you can find it used it's fine. You don't need to buy it new. Get the Simon Hanselman graphic novel called Mega Hex. M-E-G-A-H-E-X. Mega Hex. And, I mean, he's done a ton of other stuff too. But Mega Hex is the first one that I bought. And, um... Yeah, I, I bought it at a comics experience in San Francisco. Which is a pretty decent comic book shop. And they got a bunch of his shit there. Um they have a really good sort of like independent comic artist. Like it was just a section of just weird shit. That's actually pretty damn good. But yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Buy some, buy mega hex by Simon Hasselman and, uh, and, and read it and enjoy it. And, uh, you can thank me later, but I feel like that world that like Simon Hasselman world, I don't know. To me, it kind of reminds me of like the greasy strangler. Like, it seems like a scenario that could take place in uh, one of his graphic novels, but that's just me. But, um, but the themes of the greasy strangler. So it's, it's very, very similar themes and, and tone are also in a, um, Jim Hoskins, like four minute short film titled G is for granddad. And, um, G for uh, G is for Granddad is from the horror anthology film uh, The ABCs of Death Part Two. I don't know how many there are. I know there's at least two, but and basically The ABCs of Death is um, they, there's it's twenty six different stories about death in some way. It's not necessarily murder, but it's uh, it's twenty six stories about death in some way, and it's um, in alphabetical order. That's why it's the ABCs of Death, and they in so, you know, and G, that's why it's called G is for Grandpa. And that's directed by uh, Jim Hosking. And it's, it's, it's pretty good. But when you watch it, you're just like, oh, yeah. The dude who did the, gra- the Greasy Strangler directed this, definitely. Uh, and in an interview with uh, Jim Hosking in 2014, which is before the Greasy Strangler was made um, with Ain't It Cool... Dot com writer Eric Vespi Hosking um, uh, Eric, uh, Eric Vespi I believe goes by the name Quint at uh, In It Cool but in that interview uh, Qu- uh, Quint uh, says uh, let's see I'm quoting now um, I'm curious how this process how this process works from, film, from a filmmaker's point of view. My understanding is that there's a lot of creative freedom. You get your letter and you go from there. Is that right? Or did you get to pick your letter? Letter as in G for granddad, that is. And Jim Hosking says, um, I picked my letter. You could either pick a letter or be given a letter. At first I said, I'll take any letter. And then I had a word with Andy Stark, who produced the film and runs a company with Ben Wheatley. I've got a feature script I've written called The Greasy Strangler. And I thought, maybe I'll film a bit from The Greasy Strangler. So I'll do G for Greasy. This is a really long-winded answer, but I ended up changing because Production Logistics and I changed it to Granddad. So, uh, I'm like, I don't know if the grease, like he was able to get the Greasy Strangler off the ground through G is for Granddad or it was already like in the works to be made into a movie or whatever, but, I mean, G, for, G is for Granddad is very like, it's very similar to the greasy strangler, even though it's like only four minutes long, but it was funny. I liked it. <laughs> Anyways, um, I definitely recommend the greasy strangler. Um, it's weird. It's very surreal. All the dialogue is it's, it's it, it like all the dialogue feels like the actors weren't even in the same room with each other when they, read their lines like everything about it is sort of like brightly colored and gross and everyone is sort of ugly and weird <laughs> but but I really liked it um, oh also if you've ever seen the movie Grandma's Boy which I recommend watching Grandma's Boy it's a very funny movie um, the the character of Dante the drug dealer in that movie He has, like, this, like, he has, like, this tribal, like, priest or voodoo shaman or some shit like that. Like, living with him at his house with with his pet monkey. Okay, so the voodoo shaman guy, um, that dude is uh, in the Greasy Strangler. He plays one of the victims, and I recognized his face immediately, and that made me laugh, too. Very, very good casting the, the casting in this is great because everyone just looks so fucking weird um, anyways yeah go watch the Greasy Strangler uh, you may uh, um, you may or may not like it <laughs> but for me I, I thought it was a good recommendation and uh, again I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Dan DiMidio for recommending it to me thanks Dan Um, well I think that's the end of the show now um, I'm gonna get out of here uh, I'm supposed to go to somebody's birthday party uh, tonight so I should probably go do that but uh, anyways uh, I should let me let me do my plugs uh, I am on instagram at skeleton underscore factory uh, please go support the show at patreon at patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory. Mm-hmm. I just recently put up a new episode where myself and the lovely ladies from the All My Demons podcast uh, reviewed the Ty West film Pearl, the sequel to the movie X, and we had a good old time doing that. Uh, Again, that's at Patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. Become a patron and help support the show. It really helps me out. I'm also on Twitter at SF... Podcast ATX on Twitter. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Skeleton Factory Podcast, rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. Catch you on the next one. Bye bye.